0: Hello everyone. Welcome to Alligator Preserves. I am your host, Laurel McCarg, and today I have a another very special person I would like to introduce you to. His name is Cam Torrens.
1: Welcome to Alligator
0: Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Cam, well, first of all, I should ask you, does anyone ever call you Cameron?
1: Uh, My mother and my sisters call me Cameron, and everyone I went to high school with.
0: Oh, and was it said, like, did you think you were in trouble when they called you Cameron? Or was that just what they called you?
1: That's just what they called me. I grew up with Cameron. And and, uh, when I went to the Air Force Academy, they started calling me Cam. And I didn't argue. I usually just
0: kept my mouth shut to stay out of trouble. I understand that. Uh, For those of you listening today, Cam Torrance, Cameron Torrance, is an Air Force Academy graduate. I'm a West Point graduate. And so we have a few things in common. And we met a while ago at uh, here locally. I live in Salida and Cam lives in Buena Vista or Buena Vista as some people will call it. And so we're in a writing group together. I just have to, you know, put it out there that I already know this amazing man. So Cam, I'm going to call you Cam because that's how I know you as you have been many things in your life. You have been an Air Force officer over 30 years. You have been obviously a pilot when you were in the Air Force. You've been an attache. You've been a a professor. You're you're a dad of six children. And you currently are in a high position in the local search and rescue organization, which is an amazing organization, by the way. Let me just say that. Tell our listeners right now who you are right now.
1: Well, uh, right now... I consider myself a retired veteran who has found his niche. You know, I was wondering when I retired from the Air Force what I was going to do. I was pretty sure I didn't want to go into corporate life or work long hours at another job. I wanted to do the things that I liked while still serving. And so uh, the real joy in that has been the opportunities with the search and rescue here in Chafee County, uh, I found a lot of joy in that over the last five years. And um, I, I noticed you said a high level position. I I don't have any real special skills in search and rescue, except that I can carry heavy things and hike long miles. <laughs> and I know how to talk in the radio, so I do serve as an incident commander, but yeah, uh, that's been a big part of my life uh, since I retired. And also, we still have two kids left in the house that uh, just entered high school, first day of school today. So I still think of myself as a dad and husband as being important roles in my life. Thanks for asking.
0: You're welcome. And oh, by the way, you're an author, um, a debut author, by the way, of a book that already you already have 80 amazing reviews on this book, Stable. You are a debut author, and you not only have eighty plus probably reviews by now, but you also have several awards. So you're you're being very modest because <laughs> what you've also been doing in your spare time is writing. So tell me about Stable, and let me just say you know is, the cover is gorgeous and mysterious and intriguing, and the subtitle says someone is taking them. So let me let me just say first of all you've got you've got suspense you've got action you've got mystery you've got really dynamic and believable personal interactions and an amazing sense of humor that even comes out in all of this. Tell me where this came from? Where did this novel come from in your free time? Well,
1: I have always been a reader. I can even after uh, writing a couple of these books, I consider myself a reader first. And so after I retired, I wanted to see if I could do what I've been reading for years, you know, and I I felt like it couldn't be that hard. Uh, But I compare it, the analogy I've made is that's like uh, saying that uh, I I, uh, love food. So how hard can it be to cook it if I love it so much? Well, I I quickly found out that writing uh, was a challenge. So I, when I started on my first book, I was all alone. I wrote a book, thought it was a masterpiece, sent it off to a few places. Uh, over 50 rejections later, somewhere in that time period, I met you and you talked me into joining the writers group. And that had a huge influence, uh, Central Colorado writers, huge influence on my writing. And I kept at it, uh, went at a a second book. And the second book is actually the one you were holding up, Stable. And yeah, and uh, it was inspired. um, I wanted to write about, I wanted to write what I read, which is suspense, thriller, mysteries. That's what I really enjoy. And, but also wanted to write, they say, write what, what you know, or write what you're good at. And I've been in the throes of this search and rescue. So The books that I write all have an inciting incident that will have something to do with a search and rescue mission. And then for the rest of the book, search and rescue will be kind of in the back. Because my books are usually about bad guys doing bad things and good guys, you know, trying to put the bad guys away. So I mix in search and rescue with that and come up with some pretty weird search and rescue missions. All
0: right. So some of it is autobiographical, would you say? Some of it?
1: Well, the setting is uh, here by Buda Vista, the Collegiate Peaks, San Isabel Forest. Uh, I've got the Colorado Trail a mile and a half behind me where I'm sitting right now, so that part is autobiographical. I would say uh, people ask me if I'm the main character, and I Said no, because the main character of my books is ten years younger, and he has all his hair. So, and I've given uh, him some uh, some traits that that I uh, still aspire to. So I think I think my main character in whole is a little better than the author.
0: Well, such as what traits do you aspire to still after your long and illustrious career in many different things? <laughs>
1: Well, uh, you know, kindness, compassion, and uh, preserving your integrity. Those were things I learned in the service, but you, you can never be perfect at.
0: You can never be perfect, and there are ongoing challenges for sure. Where where did you get your sense of humor? Because one thing about that I love about your writing, I love many things about your writing, but one thing I really love is how you insert humor so seamlessly and subtly and uh, it's just beautiful. Have you always been a fun guy?
1: Well, if you ask me, I always have been. But if you ask my teenage boys, they'll just roll roll their eyes at you. So uh, I don't. I'm uh, pleased to hear that you uh, that you find humor between the pages because I uh, spend a lot of time trying to make those boys laugh or trying to make my wife laugh and I'm successful maybe 30% of the time. So maybe I'll scribble down those ones that work and I put them in the, in the book. So, so I can approach hundred on percent pap- on paper.
0: <laughs> well, I, I don't think you have to be a hundred percent. I think you have just the right recipe, shall we say, uh, were you, um, were either of your parents or, or siblings funny? What was your dynamic like growing up?
1: Um, yeah, I would say that, uh, I, I grew up uh, in a family that had a good sense of humor. Uh, I was a Boy Scout growing up, and so I would get uh, Boy's Life every month. And I don't know if you're familiar with the jokes in the back of Boy's Life, but it's like preparation on dad jokes at a young age. And uh, so my sisters always argue that I, or they claim that I punished them with my puns. My jokes are terrible. But... Yeah, we grew up that way and and still
0: do. They still all roll their eyes. Well, they say that you're punishing them. I think that's great. (laughs) So if you were to give uh, someone wasn't sure if they wanted to read this, what would be your elevator pitch for this? Uh, In a nutshell, what's Stable about?
1: Well, Stable is about uh, a retired Air Force veteran uh, pilot. Imagine that. Imagine that who uh, left the Air Force on uh, uncertain terms. You know, he'd lost his son to the flu. And while he was in the States dealing with that, coming back from Iraq, one of his air crews was was lost uh, from a missile. And he just kind of spiraled down into a state of depression. He hung on in the Air Force for a couple of years. He lost his family. This is Tyler Zahn, my main character we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And he was just stumbling through life, and he moved out to the Colorado Rockies to see if he could get back on his feet, and he found search and rescue, and it seemed to be working. In Stable, he's finally uh, going to reunite with his uh, young daughter, who he hadn't talked to in a number of years, Uh, at the same time that he's still involved in his search and rescue missions. So he's got this balance of trying to... Uh, show his his family, his daughter, a good time while still uh, feeling the sense of duty to search and rescue, which is the same conflict that the military veterans feel all the time. I've got a mission, I've got my family. How do I balance those two? But when uh, things start spiraling out of control with a missing girl in the mountains, he's on a mission to go look for, her, and they find a different girl. Someone is taking
0: some them young girls, yeah.
1: In. He spends the rest of the work, uh, book trying to figure out who's doing it and what he can do about it while still uh, trying to build that relationship with his own daughter.
0: Right. So you've got a lot of complex things going on here. And I'm just noticing that you're going to have to update your cover with some more awards because you only so, have one award on there right now. And I think you have like three. So maybe you want to wait and, and redo your cover. <laughs> well, it'll It'll just be all awards.
1: <laughs> the first, the first time I got an award, I was so dang excited. I sent it in. I said, "Slap this on the front." I didn't know there were going to be more. So,
0: <laughs> oh, what a horrible, what a horrible predicament that puts you in, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, how long did it take you to write Stable?
1: It took a year to write it. Um, I normally get a first draft done in about three and a half or four months, and then it takes another four or five months of rewriting and going through our writing club's critique group. To polish it up and then to to pitch it now. Uh, now that I, I have uh, the small publisher I'm with, I'm not spending as much time trying to put together pitch letters. But at that time got replaced with uh, cooperative marketing and editing and and things like that. So I would say a year.
0: Okay, tell me a little bit about this publishing company.
1: So I'm uh, published with Black Rose Writing out of Castroville, Texas. And uh, they are they call themselves a small press, but they have about over 500 authors that that write with them. And that was the unexpected joy of signing on with them is that there's a private Facebook group of just the Black Rose writing authors. And so I've met new writing friends and uh, communicate with them and their books have taken up a lot of my reading time in in the past year. It's a it's a fun group. So uh I'm real happy with the with the publisher so far. Just released the book and um uh, looking forward to writing more books for them. I just submitted yesterday book number three in the Tyler's on uh series, but you know, I have to query it. And so I sent in a query and um they said they'd like to see the book, so I sent in the book and we'll see. If they probably know as much as I do, because we don't know whether the first two will sell. Stable just released a month ago, and uh, Fall Summit releases in October. So we'll see how it goes.
0: Next month, book two comes out, Fall Summit. Give us a little a little pitch on Fall Summit, because I've already pre-ordered it. Tell, oh, tell me what I'm about to thanks. get into.
1: <laughs> well, uh, my boys, uh, Matt and Josh, gave me the idea for this book. I was Trying to figure out how I could tie into search and rescue, and they were like, "Well, you don't need to write a book about uh, you know someone who gets lost and search and rescue goes out and find them." They said you should write a book about a search and rescue person on a mission who gets lost. That would never happen. And uh, I took that that idea and ran with it, and and that's False Summit. So broke the rules on a series because. I wrote stable in third-person past tense, so Zon did this and Zon did that. And uh, False Summit is written in first-person present tense, so I wake up in the morning. And it's written in alternating first-persons between Zon and a uh, co-protagonist, one of his search-and-rescue members who disappears on a mission.
0: I think that's absolutely fine because I really don't think there are rules anymore in Thank you. publishing business. Seriously, <laughs> I've done the same thing. I did the same thing with my Water White trilogy. I I did, I, I experimented with different points of view and it was really fun. And you know, I, th- I think if you've got a good story and you know how to write well, which you obviously do, uh, people aren't going to say, oh gee, this is in the wrong tense or the, the wrong POV. I don't think that's going to happen. So don't worry about breaking the rules. That's, that's from me. Well,
1: I you know appreciate my... uh I appreciate the, the confidence boost as always. Uh, you've been a big inspiration for me. And uh, ah. when I get somewhere up among the 10 or 12 books, like you've written, I will uh, <laughs> ah. consider myself at the big time. <laughs> uh,
0: it's not about me, but do tell me, do tell me, please, because I do obviously love to write as well. I ponder a lot. I'm kind of a binge writer, as I've told other people. Uh, how do you organize your time? Because I have a, I mean, I have a feeling that with you know all your children, all your retired stuff, your search and rescue, which takes you out of the net at any given moment, you won't know whether you have to go and rescue someone off of a mountain. What do you? How do you typically? schedule your days and where does writing fit in with that?
1: Right. So I'm I'm like the stereotypical military guy. Um, uh, unlike you who binge writes, <laughs> everything I do is on a uh, to-do list and has a little box next to it. And I get satisfaction by, uh, you know, putting X's in it. And I'm so bad that I'm one of those guys where if an unexpected task comes up and I complete it, I'll go ahead and write it in and make a box and put the X in just so I have lots of X's. So <laughs> if I lose my day platter, I'm out of luck. When it comes to writing, I'm, I'm disciplined that way. So when I'm in the uh, first draft phase, I will write a minimum of a thousand words a day for three and a half to four months straight so that I have 90 to 100,000 words. And when that's done, then I'll move to the rewrite phase and and I'll just block the time off during the day to do that. But so I don't I don't do a lot of binge writing. I, I put out a, a newsletter once a month and I try to write a blog post once a month in addition to the the book writing. And those are on uh, my internal schedule as well. So it's just, that's just the way I am most comfortable operating. Uh, you know, I've got the kids' bus time written on there and workout time, and I'm organized that way.
0: Are you a morning or an afternoon or an evening writer?
1: Completely morning. <laughs> well, I can write in the in the afternoon. Um, I, you know, I do all my writing at the kitchen table, so I'm no stranger to writing with chaos. Uh, going on around me, but definitely uh, morning. I, I do my my working out in the morning and my writing in the morning, and try to have most of that stuff done
0: before noon. Do you share your writing with family as you go? I mean, I know you're in the critique group, but do you share it with anyone else as you're writing?
1: Well, now that I know that you're okay with me breaking rules, I can tell you that uh, the number three book that I just sent off. To the publisher, the first person that read that was my mother, and she's been the first person to read most of my books. So, you know, they say that well, if you're trying to get feedback, you shouldn't send it off to your relatives because they're just going to tell you it's great. But that's why I send it to my mother. So <laughs> I need, I'm i at that point. I need somebody to tell me it's great, even though um, I know it needs a lot of work. So, <laughs>
0: and i think that's absolutely fine too my yeah my parents when they were around they uh, they read my stuff and yeah you you need you need to keep that encouragement going and with the critique group of course you know we're we're with a group of professional authors who aren't going to tell you everything's great and in order to be in that critique group you need to have a tough skin right you need to be able to take that criticism because if someone says something is amiss or bothersome or confusing, and you say, "Oh no, it isn't. I know what I was saying. Well, then you're not a good critique group member, and uh, you you've been amazing. and the, the wonderful thing, and I'll just put in this plug to anybody out there, if you're not in a critique group with people who want you to improve, you know find find that group of people who will who will tell you honestly how you need to improve your writing. so uh yeah we, we, we have a good one. Well, I
1: I tell you that it is the number one thing uh, out of the stuff I've learned in the last three or four years, and I'm still learning, but it's the number one thing that I feel has improved my writing. So because especially once you get involved with it and um, you develop a relationship with these people, you want to give them your best work. So you end up rewriting stuff to a level you wouldn't have before you submit it. And they still pick it apart <laughs> and try to make it uh, opportunities to make it better. So then when critique group's over, I go back and then you're rewriting it for the fourth time. And it's just a different product than if you're if you've only got your eyes on your own work. You and I have talked about blind spots. We uh, we feel like we know how to write. Uh, and We can't believe that we can't catch our own mistakes.
0: <laughs> right. And, and we can't because we know what our story is, we know too much. And we sometimes don't let our readers know everything that we know. And I'll just I'm going to put a little pitch in here or or tell our listeners out there. uh, Cam, you and I recently completed uh, the Mighty Pen Project with New York Times bestselling author David L. Robbins. And he did a 12 week course for veterans on creative writing and I gotta tell you, my writing has changed immediately. And talk about uh editing and giving feedback, he was brutal and wonderful, and could take a, a paragraph and condense it to a sentence. And uh his writing is so clean and, and amazing. And uh yeah. I agree.
1: I, I you know I was joking about uh, my mother gave me praise, but uh, I asked her about comparing it to the previous two books. And she said, there's something a little bit different with your writing. She goes, I think your your writing uh, is sounding more like you want it to sound. So she knows I'm a big fan of uh, CJ Box and Craig Johnson and these guys who write about Wyoming and game wardens and sheriffs and, uh, and stuff. And uh, when I talked to her some more about it, she's like, well, it's like you've taken out some words to actually say more. And I said, that's the mighty pen project.
0: David yes. 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 And his tips and the way he edits, you know, they're, they're user friendly. I mean, they're, they're things that you can look at in your own writing and, and Oh, by the way, he's, you know, he's giving a conference for our writing group. Uh, on October 14th. And if anyone wants information on that, you know, let me know. But uh, so you talked about writing being a challenge. What would you say is the greatest challenge in completing a book?
1: I think uh, one of the biggest challenges for me is just uh, making sure timelines match up. So I, I usually try to have a couple different storylines wrapped around the main plot. And it's easy when you start getting in and rewriting or focusing in on different sections. If you make a change in one section, if you don't catch what you have to change on the timeline to make sure that holds true, you can be sure somebody else will catch it. (laughs) And so that was a real challenge for me, especially for False Summit, because I was alternating chapters between the present and 60 days prior to the present with a different character, Uh, with that second in the past slowly moving forward to present day. So I found that to be the biggest challenge, timelines.
0: And you mentioned your children. Have they read your books, any of them? Any of your children read any of your books?
1: No, uh, but I think they're going to because uh, so uh, one of my – Children loves loves to read, but has reading challenges, so he's a huge audiobook fan. And Stable just came out in audio, and I was taking him to cross-country practice the other day, and we listened to a chapter, and he said, that's what you're writing? And I said, that's it? And he goes, well, I'm interested in that, so...
0: <laughs> oh, so he's yeah. listening to, to the audiobook. For those of you just joining us, we are here with debut and award-winning author Cam Torrance, author of Stable and soon-to-be-released Fall Summit, and a third book is is coming along. Tell me about the audiobook. Who did you narrate it?
1: So uh, I did not. A uh, voice actor named Tim uh, Simpson did the did the voice acting who I have not met yet, but um hoping to meet because I'm hoping he does a uh, fall summit as well. The, so not all of the uh, books go to audio with the publisher and they had actually uh, started working on the audio version. Uh, I was unaware that they had started working on it. So for the next one, uh, it looks like I'm going to get to be involved a little bit more completely happy with uh, who they chose and, uh, the sense of tension that the actor gives, but uh, the only suggestion for improvement I made was a interface to get the geographical name pronunciations right. So, I I say this in a public forum because I know that you have a lot of listeners in the Upper Arkansas River Valley, and because uh, your uh, website uh, Leadville Laurel, uh, when you're listening to the book and you hear of a place called Leadville you'll right. know that that's Ladville and right. that uh, Chaffee County is actually Chaffee
0: County. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, Little things that perhaps people outside this area wouldn't really care about. Right, so, right.
1: But, uh, you know, I don't know how you feel. My most important audience to me is uh, my community. And so uh, they they're the ones that you want to get it right for, right? <laughs>
0: Pretty. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And by the way, you recently did a reading at a church down here in Salida. And it was fabulous. And you had a big group of search and rescue individuals, you know, local ones attend. And it just dawned on me that some of our listeners might not know what search and rescue is, especially if they live in a city or, or someplace else. Tell us what search and rescue is.
1: Yeah, so Search and Rescue uh, is run by the state. There's a national organization, but there's also a Colorado State Search and Rescue organization. organization. And uh, there's actually different organizational structures throughout the country. Ours involves working uh, directly for the sheriff's department. And even though we're a small population county, uh, around 20,000 people, we have 14 peaks in our mountain range that are over 14,000 feet high. So we're a huge draw for high-altitude uh, climbs. And that's why Chafee County, one of the smaller counties, actually has two search and rescue groups, the one in the south that you mentioned out of Salida and the one that I'm a part of up here in the north, Chafee County, SAR North. And we have a, a boundary line halfway halfway through our county, but we work together quite a bit. Uh, for a lot of our missions. So it's uh, when I moved here, I thought, oh, we're 45 minutes from ski resorts. This must be like a ski town. I had no idea that I was moving to a river town (laughs) and a mountain climbing town. So we have a big variety of missions, large variety of missions that we go on uh, between river rescues and mountain rescues, uh, injured hikers, lost hikers, there's no shortage of active activity in fact in July we had our busiest July ever we had uh, 16 missions so a mission every other day in the month kept us busy
0: Wow and and you get paid big bucks for this right And I say, <laughs> I say that you know snarkily because a lot of people think that you do a lot of think that people think that this is a paid job
1: so we uh, we survive on uh, uh, grants. Uh, government grants uh, other donations uh, or how we get our money and uh a portion of uh, my profits from the books will also uh, go to search and rescue I've pre- uh, presented small checks to both Chaffee County North and south but I'm hoping as uh, sales pick up that uh, the checks will be larger uh there, there are uh, small contributions in uh comparison to some of the large donors we have that keep us afloat, but but it'll help. And uh, hopefully the books will help advertise the mission Search and Rescue does. And also hidden amongst the words, there are uh, some tips about how to safely hike or uh, examples of uh, unsafe practices while you're hiking.
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All good to know, because you know people come from wherever, from low-lying areas, uh, low elevation, and when you're talking about 14,000 foot climbs, it's they're breathtaking, literally, and. Even if you can see the top from the bottom, which you typically can't because there are false summits everywhere, as as we know, but um, yeah, just because you can see it doesn't mean you could just scamper up in your little flip-flops with no water and boy, it's tough. And again, thank you for doing what you do in search and rescue. People do this as a volunteer type thing. My husband did it for many, many, many years and you know, you, you can't, rely on being able to get through a holiday weekend without having to go find someone. And that sometimes the someones don't always make it, do they? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the search, the search part of the search and rescue. Yeah. I am honored that you are here saving people right and left and writing books about it that keep us on our toes and on the edges of our seats. So let's see you've done a million different things in your life. Uh, you're still a young man. Um, if you yeah, could choose, you. <laughs> I say that because I'm, I'm a young woman, right? Well, uh, of course. <laughs> if you could choose one job from everything you've ever done, everything, every job you've ever had, you could choose one of them to, to have to do or get to do the rest of your life. What would it be? I just thought of that question. It, I don't know that I'd be able to answer it very well.
1: Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I think. Uh, am I allowed to say husband? That job. You,
0: yes, you're allowed to say. I'm asking you the question. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,
1: so let me just say that uh, my personal job would definitely uh, be husband because uh, I definitely want to do that one for the rest of my life. The if I was about my experiences that I've had. I would say, I would say the writing thing. I want to keep doing the the writing thing. I've thought of a couple of uh, air force jobs. I was a uh, ROTC instructor at Virginia Tech, and still have a close relationship with uh, well over a hundred uh, lieutenants and captains now that are out there in the military doing great things. And um, it was an incredible opportunity to mentor, and it meant a lot to to me. Uh, and the other job, uh, the Air Force attache in Beijing, China, was the most unique thing I've ever done. It's just hard to describe the opportunities that I had to see the country, uh, meet the people, you know, interact with the government, which was uh, sometimes fun, sometimes not. <laughs> but the people, the Chinese people are just fantastic.
0: Will, so, a, bu- will a book come from that experience? Well, <laughs>
1: My main character mentioned in an earlier book, Studying a Little Chinese, and uh, the co-protagonist in False Summit is a Chinese-American, and uh, three of my children are Asian. So it would be hard to imagine that I don't have a book somewhere out there that doesn't have something to do with some part
0: of Asia. I think you kind of have to at this point. Uh, You mentioned that the the husband job, which I know is not really a job, but give a shout out to your wife and and tell us about her amazing background as well.
1: Yeah, so my wife, uh, she graduated from the Air Force Academy the same year that you graduated from West Point in
0: 1983.
1: I actually actually met her in pilot training and she had a wonderful 20-year career in the Air Force where I mostly followed her Great things around and tried to find a job for me to do while I was following her around. But in the process of that, we were building a family uh, that eventually ended up with six kids. And so as soon as she had the opportunity to retire and do that full time, she knew that's what she wanted to do. So she retired and spent the next 17 years raising our kids while I was flying around uh, places unknown. She was back doing the real work and a lot of the the moves where we'd go from place to place. Uh, but then when I retired and uh, she found out that I was taking this, not go back to work thing seriously, she was like, well, that's it. I'm out of here. And she went uh, and got hired on as an airline pilot. And so she flies uh, out of Denver with SkyWest. Wow.
0: Around. Oh, my gosh.
1: So, what, what a family. Well, I must not be too funny because you know <laughs> she's not willing to give me uh, uh oh, in the house. I, th- I think she probably uh saw the uh uh writing expenditures uh income balance and decided that someone needed to keep
0: the, bringing money in <laughs> bring you <in> the bacon <laughs> he's your sugar mama yeah keep that one <laughs> keep that husband job right so, <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that you consider yourself even more of a reader than a writer. And I understand you read like, I don't know, a gajillion books a year. You have a reading goal. And and tell me, tell me about that. And tell me about what you're reading right now. Well, I'm
1: just passionate about reading. I always have been. And I thought that might ebb a little bit when I started writing, but I've actually been reading more so yeah, I mean, I usually I usually read uh, between ten and twelve books a month, and um, I I have have four going at one time. I'll have an audio book for when I'm jogging, and uh, usually a paper book uh, and a couple of ebooks. and I just love it. Uh, not all mystery, suspense, thriller, although quite a few, but being involved with both the Central Colorado writers. And with the Black Rose writing authors, I've read a lot of stuff outside my genre lately a lot of science fiction, even fantasy, which I'm not a a huge fan of, but it's given me an opportunity to read different things um I've found that lately I'm actually even a little bit of a modern or contemporary romance fan, so i've been I've read some uh emily henry books uh, beach music uh uh, book lovers, they made me laugh out loud. And uh, lately, Taylor Jenkins Reid. So uh, Daisy Jones and the Six, After I Do, uh, Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I don't know if you've heard of her. She's she's a good author too. Lessons in Chemistry was a good one I've read this year. And um, look, I've been reading a lot of Black Rose writing authors. So uh, I'm reading one, uh, what's it called when you rewrite a modern version of a classic? Like what? Uh, Fan fiction.
0: Fan fiction? Sort of, or... but I'm
1: thinking um, Demon Copperhead. Oh. Um, so uh, what, who's that author I'm thinking Bar- of?
0: Barbara Kingsolver? Yeah, Barbara
1: Kingsolver. So uh, she uh, you know, rewrote David Copperfield.
0: Is that a pastiche? Is that what it's As, uh, um, I'll I'll say yes, and then I'll look it up after this interview. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm We're, reading, this, reading I'm this like, a book yeah. now
1: called The Delaney Bennetts, and it's a uh, book about a uh, HBC historically Black college family involved with the college, and it's a rewrite of uh, Pride and Prejudice. So,
0: <laughs> all right, I didn't realize that Demon Copperhead was a rewrite of David Copperfield. I'm listening to it now. And by the way, holy mackerel. Wow. What a story.
1: I'll confess that uh, I didn't pick up on it until a third of the way through when there was one coincidence, too many on close names, but not exactly close. And I probably have read uh, the original David Copperfield sooner, uh, more recently than you, because I was reading reading the children's uh, illustrated version to my boys three or four years ago. So I was hit up on the names. Oh,
0: so, okay. Now I have to go back and reread David Copperfield. But uh, I tell you, I mean, Barbara Kingsolver is incredible. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, what Yeah, what a story. And so you're reading four different books right now. You mentioned one, well, in your newsletter, you do a little review of what, four or five books? Each- I, do. I try
1: to review five books a month.
0: And you mentioned to me something about uh, end of life decisions, right? Right to die, the right to die,
1: right to die, right. I um, so one of the Black Rose writing authors, uh, Sasha Lauren, wrote this book called Final Lullaby, and it's a lovely book. It's uh, I went into it uh, thinking it was uh, like a literary romance, like kind of like David Nichols One Day. I mentioned that in my review. Which I thought was just a just a great picture of the ideal romantic relationship, but then uh, throughout the book it becomes more about this right to die issue. And I finished that book and I couldn't stop thinking about it because I just hadn't experienced anything like that in my family, and it's I knew it was a contentious issue, uh, and so yeah, I wrote a piece in my newsletter, not having experienced it, but how I how I uh, imagined it would be to deal with it and kind of the, what the arguments were on either side. And there's not, I haven't done a lot of reading with books that I sit around thinking about them after I'm done. I'm usually moving right on to the next one. I'm an entertainment guy. I love to be entertained, but that one got me thinking. So by Sasha Lauren. All
0: right. All right. That's, that's an interesting one. I, um, uh, I don't know if you knew that Colorado is a right to die state. I think I think you might call it that. I know that when I redid my will, it's it's something that you can add. Uh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, it, there are a lot of uh, requirements in order. You know, you have to have a, a six month or less diagnosis for. You know mm-hmm. how much long? You know there are a bunch of different things, but the idea is. It gives a terminal patient the ability to make a decision about their final time,
1: which right.
0: is kind of amazing. And again, you you mentioned in your newsletter. And again, uh, I I want people to sign up for your newsletter. You can tell us how to do that a little bit later. But you mentioned you know, you, you don't necessarily know what your decision is going to be when you're presented with it. Like I can say right now, well, I want to be able to have the ability to say bye bye when I want. But who knows when the time actually comes? I don't know, because I haven't been there. So that
1: that was, uh, I I think my main point was that looking at it from afar, you know, I can say, well, I have these views because of my ethics. And I have these views because I'm a Christian. But I think that uh, when push comes to shove, if it's right there in your family with someone you love or yourself, uh, your view, your decision is going to be based off of uh, that love more so than those things that you're looking at it when it was from a distance, which I think is what you just said. Yeah.
0: From a distance. Okay. Can't sing anymore of that. (laughs) Where are you the most happy?
1: In the mountains. (laughs) All right. No no question. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Washington State, uh, mostly on the west side, in the Olympic Mountains. So in my Boy Scout days, we were hiking in the rainforest out by Lake Quinault and the Ho River. Um,
0: So it's in your blood.
1: I think so. I've always been attracted to the to the mountains.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I grew up south shore of Boston, you know, on the ocean. And uh, I didn't know too much about the mountains. I remember it was junior year at West Point. I came out for of the Army Air Force game to the Air Force Academy, and I remember thinking, "Oh my goodness, this—it's so stark out here." You know, the—if you've been to West Point, which I know you have—the—the the history of the place, the buildings, the—the—the the, the granite, the uh, permanence of it the richness of it, uh, all that. And then you come out to the Air Force Academy and it's all so modern. Uh, It struck me as a place I wouldn't want to live. And yet here I am, we moved out to Colorado in 2003 and I don't want to live anywhere else.
1: Oh, I know what you mean. I I mean, there's something about the West being able to see distances. You know, I've done a lot of hiking on the uh, up and down the East Coast and you'd hike for hours just to get to a spot where you might be able to see something in the distance, you know, a hole in the trees or a rock bluff. But then I took, I took some Boy Scouts from the East coast out to New Mexico, to the scout reservation of Philmont. And we came around a corner the very first day where you could actually see 50, 60, 70 miles in front of you. And, uh, I turned around and they'd all stopped. They were just standing there with their mouths open (laughs) because they'd never seen that, that far before, you
0: know. Oh. You just can't capture it with a picture.
1: No, but there's home. I bet you when you smell salt water, you think of Boston, right?
0: Yes, that, that is true. And I'll be heading there shortly, heading back to the East Coast. And there is there is something that you know smells evoke memories. Right. And but
1: That's like this time of year, whenever I smell cut grass, which is not that often up here in Univista. I know down a slide of direction, they got it. But cut grass always makes me think of football. So.
0: Did you play football?
1: I did, yeah. High school school football. I'm a big fan. You didn't
0: play on the Air Force team?
1: uh, Well, I tried out for the Air Force team, and uh, I made it through, like, a four-exercise test where they said, you have a lot of potential. You should come back next year and try again. Uh, Then I I did intramurals uh, after that and uh, enjoyed. That's actually where I got into running, but... That was it. That was the end of my football days. But I still followed. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, but tomorrow night, Buena Vista hosts Salida up here for the home opener.
0: Oh, will I see you there? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be working on my next chapter of my next novel. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say that anyway. You know what? Maybe I should try what you do, what what a lot of writers do. Maybe I should try being a little more disciplined. I don't know.
1: Well, I don't. Here's here's why I will make an argument for your method. You binge write because when you write, you have something to say. When you do a thousand words a day, uh, sometimes you're just doing what it takes to get through those thousand words. So my first drafts, when they talk about ugly first drafts, uh, <laughs> mine are uber ugly.
0: <laughs> Hard to believe that. So for our listeners out there, who are just getting into writing or have been writing for a while. What kind of tips would you give them to uh, take next steps? And for those of you just listening, if you're not watching this on the YouTubes, we are visiting with debut author and award-winning author, Cam Torrens, author of Stable and soon to be released Fall Summit. What tips would you give writers out there?
1: Um, I would say that... uh... To first off, write. Don't feel like you have to learn how to do it before you do it. So write every day. I, I always start with journaling in the morning, uh, somewhere between one and three pages of handwritten journaling. That I a tip I learned from a book by Julia Cameron. But then I would study the craft. So uh, get books on writing. Uh, look for recommendations. Uh, read the books and try to apply it into the writing that you're doing join a writers group. I did the first year of this writing gig by myself and thought I was doing just fine. But we talked about those blind spots already. I didn't know what I didn't know. And uh, a a writing group is great because everybody there wants everybody else to succeed. And uh, they're all going through similar things to what you are and there are opportunities for education. So uh, definitely, would look at an opportunity for a writing group, and that doesn't have to be in person. Zoom, people complain about Zoom, but it's actually a marvelous tool for writing because you can do things with shared documents and shared screens uh, that might actually be harder to do in a in a meeting room setting. So, those are the the two biggest tips that I would say.
0: All right. And you talk about handwriting. Do you find you write differently when you write by hand than when you type?
1: Oh, certainly. Because, like, if I was to go back and read my journals, which I rarely do, I wouldn't be able to read them. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've got ter- terrible handwriting, but I just feel like the handwriting it gets the it gets the juices flowing for later on when I'm when I'm typing. So,
0: do you get? Uh, if you ever get stuck on a scene or what's going to ha- come next, a, a plot point, how do you how do you get beyond? I, I'm not a believer in writer's block because you can always write something. You know, you might not right. necessarily know what comes next, but you can write something. Uh, how do you get through times when you know you might not know what comes next?
1: I I use two techniques. I either write in all capitals. I don't know what happens here, but I need to fix it. Or I'll type in uh, XXX in capital so that when I'm done, I can do a search for XXX. And it'll take me to every part of the book where I ran out of thoughts or I got confused or I needed to check on something. So some pick some type of mark that you can search for later to be able to find it again.
0: So the answer is you just skip to the next thing.
1: The, skip to the next thing. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you, uh, I don't.
1: Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't have time to uh, get stuck like to slow down the writing stuff. So um, because that'll come to me later. I when I listen to audio books on or audio podcasts, or writing podcasts, I listen to those too when I'm working out. Oftentimes, I'll have half my brain on what I'm listening to, and something will catch my eye. And it'll be like, oh, that applies to the book I'm at. Or, oh, I see what they did in that book or this storyline. And I won't necessarily copy it, but it gives me, I can see a link to my book and it gives me an idea. And I have to either get off the treadmill or try to remember while I'm outside jogging to be able to write it down so I can bring it back. So just putting the XXX in, I know that when I'm out on a walk or a hike or a run, that... um, that I'll come up with an idea that'll go there.
0: So you generally know what's going to happen in the plot from beginning to end, or does
1: it change? Right. So I, I am a plotter uh, as opposed to a pantser, the writing not, term. Not a surprise.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, I have yet to have a book that uh, that turns out exactly as I've plotted it. To include, like, who the bad guy is, it has changed before from my original outline
0: but no i think i think that's amazing and wonderful and i've heard that from other uh, mystery writers who tell me that sometimes they don't know the who done it until they get to the end which just is incredible because they do such a good job of having readers be able to say that any single person could have done it so you know they sometimes surprise themselves at the end which is great and you know the point that you bring up is that you don't necessarily have to write chronologically if you are inspired to write a scene a scene comes to you and again when I'm out walking or hiking or whatever I use my voice memo thing when I get ideas and I get so many ideas when I'm out moving movement is good but yeah, yeah. Um, I re- I record them uh, but yeah you can jump you can jump to the end if you want you can write the ending if you think you know it and then see if you get there it's fun
1: yeah well you must have lots of ideas because I heard you're like a seven mile a day walker
0: Something like that. I do have lots of ideas. I don't know that I'll live long enough to write them all down, but you know that's what makes life life interesting. I think if you keep walking, you will. (laughs) Okay, all right. Thanks, thanks for that. I'm gonna let's get out of here. Let's go. Let's go for a walk. Let's go for a hike, Cam.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. I'm always game.
0: One of these days. So I think you've told us so much, which is amazing. I can't wait till Fall Summit comes out because I'm ready to read it. And how many books will be in the series? Do you think?
1: Well, I, in order to keep writing them for publication, I need the publisher to still be interested in them. So it will be up to up to them. But uh, I feel like there's I've got a lot more stories inside. So Good. Uh, we'll see. There's a prequel out there that's uh, asking what's going to happen to me. So the first book I wrote that never got accepted is still stuck on a hard drive somewhere oh. it obviously needs to be rewritten but I'm um, considering that if the series picks up at all that I would uh I would throw that on as a oh before it all happened type of
0: book why not that's called that's called your backlist I think right. something like that
1: so Laurel I, uh, I I didn't open with this so I want to make sure I have the opportunity to say it at the end I, I really appreciate the opportunities that you give authors and writers uh on your podcast and uh, thanks so much for inviting me to come on yours it's a real honor i've you know uh normally you interview people who've written a book and i've known you now for three years and for uh uh over two of those i was one of the ones who had and i was like oh How do I get on alligator preserves? I had to get, I had to finish the book. And so I feel like I've hit the big time now.
0: You have, Uh, because, because you know I'm big time, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Cam. Do you have any shout outs other than to me? You already did a shout out to your publishing company and your wife and your children. Anyone else you want to uh, shout out to uh, Uh, for thanks?
1: uh, The, since I suspect that a lot of our audience is local, I will just say that uh, Linda Ditchkis is a member of Central Colorado writers. She's the founder of our critique group and the leader of that critique group and so if it uh wasn't for her, I don't think I would probably be sitting here having an interview with with you today. so that's been a big uh, a big plus for my writing and the beauty of the library. Been very supportive as well as the Salida Library who hosted me down at the A Church. But um, I work uh, as a volunteer on the board at uh, the University Library, and our director there, Cecilia Lafrance, is absolutely amazing. Amazing! She's changing the community with what she's doing with the library and reading. And so that that's an issue that's important to me. And so I thanks for the opportunity for that shout out. uh, We're working on a. Library, a big library expansion up here in Buena Vista uh, that goes on the ballot in November. So I didn't realize when I got on to your podcast that I was going to bring up the ballot, you, but it just came out. (laughs) So vote for the Buena Vista Library.
0: All right. And I'll put in a pitch for everyone listening out there. Please support your local libraries. Please become a friend of your local libraries. Uh, they they do yeah. so much for us and they support local authors and and also, by the way, your local bookstores. And uh, if you have books out there and you haven't visited your local bookstore yet to see if they might carry your books, do that because generally they're delighted. So, yeah, yes. Well, thank you, Cam Torrens, debut award-winning author of Stable and, and another couple that I'm sure are coming out that are going to be award-winning as well. You will send me, I hope, a few cute pictures of you. And, sure. and some links. Take all day to find a <laughs> send me some pictures and uh, and links to some things that you might want me to include. And listeners out there, you can find these pictures and show notes on my website at LeadvilleLaurel.com. Even though I live in Salida, I had to stick with Leadville Laurel. .com so you can find this and uh, I'll have links to this and to the audio version and cam um today is thursday have you has this taken up your writing time
1: no i got my writing done before our podcast and uh, i'm moving from this to the library meeting next
0: <laughs> all right i will let you go thank you so much for being a guest today on alligator preserves and i look forward to all your upcoming writing Thanks for having me, Laurel. I appreciate you. You are more than welcome. We'll see you around town. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard, with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelorel.com where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed
0: this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com.